0: You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. So last week, we heard the story of a lawyer who stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus affirmed his reading of the law. He said, you have done a good job. You understand what the law means. Now do this and you will live the lawyer didn't want the simple answer to his question. He didn't just want to know how he should interpret the law. The lawyer wanted to justify himself. He wanted to show himself to be righteous, perhaps show himself to be wise, perhaps even show himself to be wiser than Jesus. And so he asked the question, who then is my neighbor? And Jesus told him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as we looked at that parable last week, we saw that it is not just a way of answering his question to remind him that really everyone who needs mercy is your neighbor, though it is that. And it was not just a way of showing him that he couldn't live up to that standard, though it was that too. It was a story that set the us as the listeners and it set the uh, the lawyer who went to Jesus as in the shoes of the person who needed mercy, that he could see in himself one who needs mercy, one who cannot keep the law by himself, one for whom self-justification is never really an option, and he stood before Jesus and he came to realize, we came to realize how desperately we need to receive mercy and it is only God who can show us that mercy. Only God who can draw us to Himself. Only God who can reach out to us in our deep need. And I'm not going to preach last week's sermon over again. But I wanted to remind you of that story because in the way that the Gospel of Luke that is set set up, the reading that we had today follows directly upon that story. So the story we heard this morning of Mary and Martha um, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that story is directly after the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think that Luke was intentional in his arrangement of this. That in order to understand today's story fully, we need to remember the story from last week. Last week, Jesus told a story about a man on a road. This week's passage begins with Jesus himself on the road. He's moving from one city to another, and he is walking out. He sets out um, along the road, and Jesus doesn't run into any problems with bandits. Uh, fortunately, he never we never hear about him running into any problems with bandits or highwaymen in his time in, um, in his ministry in Jerusalem. First of all, I doubt that an itinerant preacher was a very good target, he didn't carry very much with him, he didn't have goods to steal, nothing there, but he also tended to travel in groups. Certainly he did on this occasion. It says that they set out. So who is they? Um, It's a little bit hard for us to say. We don't know exactly how many people were going with Jesus. The last time it made mention of his disciples, um, a little bit earlier in Luke chapter 10, it was when he sent out the 70 or the 72, depending upon uh, which translation you have. But he sent out 70 disciples out into the... into the countryside. He sent them out two by two. They went out and they came back and they reported to him that they had done miracles in his name, that they had cast out demons, and they were amazed at what happened. And then Jesus is moving on to another place, and they set out. We don't know for sure if it was all 70, but it was probably a group of people, not necessarily the 12. He's walking and traveling with his disciples. And he gets to this new town. Um, We don't know exactly how far he'd been walking, but probably dusty and tired at the end of the day and he's welcomed into the home of Martha. Hospitality was a sacred responsibility in ancient Israel. There was an obligation to provide travelers with food and water and shelter. We saw this in our Old Testament reading where there are three travelers who are complete strangers to Abraham, but when they come he sets the whole camp in motion to make sure that they can be provided for. That they're going to have a bull slaughtered for them. He sets somebody working to provide food. He's making sure they have shelter and he's dining around a meal with them. And in sharing that meal there's something of a covenant that's being made uh, and a relationship that is being established. Uh, There was no real worse betrayal than to have someone who shared a meal with you turn away and become your enemy. We see from Jesus' other encounters in the New Testament that there were other obligations that were expected upon somebody who was going to show hospitality. There were a couple of times where he went into a Pharisee's home and he ended up criticizing them about not washing his feet properly when he came in. There was an expectation that you're going to have a servant of the household come and care for the feet of the person, you're going to prepare the meal, you're going to make it an event when you are welcoming a traveler into your home. And Martha knew all of this. She knew what it meant to welcome Jesus and however many people were with him into her home. And there is no sign that she did so grudgingly. There's no sign that she had any hesitation about welcoming Jesus into her home. She was happy to see him there, even knowing what it was going to mean for her, the work that it was going to produce for her. And when Jesus and his disciples appeared there, he, she probably already knew him at this point. It wasn't quite the same as the situation with Abraham in the Old Testament, where it was just unknown travelers. Um, it would have been strange for Jesus as a man with his disciples to go into the home of what appeared to be an unmarried woman if they didn't already know her in some way. And later on in the story, she calls him Lord, implying a knowledge of him. She already understands that she is someone who sits under him as a great teacher, as the Lord, even, that she's able to name him. And so she knew something of who Jesus was, and that gave even greater honor because she's welcoming this teacher into her home. And as he comes into her home, he does her the honor of beginning to teach in her home we get this idea from the fact that it says that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it was traditional in Jewish um, teaching, teachers at that time that the teacher and the students would sit when the teacher, when the rabbi was teaching. So, Um, I wouldn't be standing here, we'd probably all be sitting around, maybe lounging on the floor here. We could gather around, kind of think of children's church, where the teacher sits down at the level of the students, gather around, and this is kind of the picture of what Mary and the other disciples who traveled with Jesus are doing. They're sitting on the floor, gathered around, listening intently to what he's saying. This was fairly typical for a Jewish rabbi, but what was not typical was to have a woman among those whom was listening. It was exclusively a male privilege, generally, to be a disciple of a teacher, to be able to sit and listen to the teaching. They could perhaps pass it along to their wife if they chose, but it was going to be a male privilege to be a disciple. But over and over in Luke, we find those who we would not expect at the feet of Jesus. We found the lawyer last week standing up, which in some ways was actually respectful because people would stand to ask a question so that everyone could hear. But we know that that posture of standing in Luke here is is also pointing to the duplicity in his heart because he's standing not just to ask a question but to test Jesus. But there are women who need mercy who find themselves kneeling at the feet of Jesus and weeping and anointing his feet. There are Gentiles who end up falling down after they have received mercy from Him. There are Samaritans who come and end up at the feet of Jesus. Over and over again in the Gospel of Luke, there are people who end up at the feet of Jesus, showing that they are true disciples, and the fact that they are calling him Lord as well. They understand something, maybe not the full picture yet, but they understand something of who he is, and they come and they fall at his feet. Mary is the model of a good disciple but honestly, probably not Mary only. There's an interesting textual variant in the Greek that I think actually adds some insight into what's going on in this passage. In verse 39, where it says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, in some manuscripts, not all of them, but in some manuscripts, it actually reads that she had a sister called Mary, so Martha had a sister called Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and listen to his teaching. There are some hints there perhaps in some of the manuscripts, and some of your translations might actually have that also in there. There There's some hints that Martha is also one who has sat at the feet of Jesus before. That she looks at him as a teacher, that she loves him and knows him for for who he is. We see that here in the way that she calls him Lord. Again, she's not just welcoming him as as an unknown traveler, or even as just a rabbi who perhaps has some influence in the area. She's welcoming him because she knows who he is, that his teaching is valuable, and she too desires to sit at the feet of Jesus. But on this occasion, she wasn't able to listen well. Verse 40 says that Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And I think sometimes when we tell the story of Mary and Martha, we tell it as if Martha is someone who is busy and doesn't really care and value the teaching of Jesus the way that that Mary does, that she doesn't get how important it is. And I don't think that's true at all. When we look at the word distracted, it implies that she's trying to pay attention, but she keeps on being drawn away because she's supposed to prepare that meal. It's the sacred obligation of the house. And even if she has servants who are helping, perhaps they keep coming to her because she's the head of the house. And they keep trying to interrupt her and she's frustrated because she's getting up and running around, she's trying to listen, but is not able to listen and hear the way that she wants to. She wants to be sitting at the feet of Jesus like Mary is, but she can't because she has other obligations. I think that most of us can relate at how frustrating this can be. It's one thing to have somebody interrupting you. It's another thing to have somebody interrupting you when you have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you really want to pay attention to and somebody keeps on popping in. Even if we just have like movie night with kids and there's kids just keep on asking questions or can I have another snack? Can you go up and get me some more popcorn? Can I have a drink? Uh, What's happening here? I don't understand what's going on. And when you really get into the movie and you're actually trying to pay attention to the movie, it's frustrating. You're like, stop. (laughs) Yeah. I know some of you deal with that here on Sunday mornings. You're trying to pay attention and you're distracted. And it's frustrating. And that's what Martha's feeling and dealing with, and it's building up. And she's looking at her sister who is just getting to sit there at the feet of Jesus and isn't helping her. And so she's like, that's what I want to be doing. And so there's a sense of jealousy that comes out as well in the way that she says, I would like to be there sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's not fair. She lives here too, can't she help out so that I can pay a little bit better attention? Maybe two half distracted people are better than one fully distracted person. Again, those of you who are married can imagine how this feels as well. When you are the one who's being constantly interrupted and your spouse is sitting there paying full attention to what you're trying to pay attention to and it just makes you eventually build up resentment that they aren't helping, that they are getting to do what you want to be doing. So she goes to Jesus and steps in and says, Jesus, won't you intervene? Won't you do something? Make her help me. What a bold move that is. To go to the rabbi and ask for his judgment on this situation. I wish that more of us would follow Martha on this count. That when we're frustrated we would go to Jesus and say, won't you do something about it? Now, of course, in this particular situation she's wrong. Going to Jesus doesn't always mean getting what you want. She wants Jesus to make her sister help her, and he says no. But by raising the question, by coming to Jesus with her desire, she gets to receive his correction in a way that allows her and us as witnesses of this story to learn and grow. And his correction is actually quite gentle. Pretty much everyone that comments on this passage agrees that the way that he says her name, the way that he has it in there twice, where he says, Martha, Martha. It's a sign of tenderness towards her. He understands her frustration. He doesn't dismiss it and say, you know, you just don't be frustrated. And he doesn't correct her for her work of hospitality either. His response to her is not, leave the tasks undone, just come sit at my feet with your sister. What he corrects is the position of her heart, where she is feeling full of worry and distraction. This is the way of Jesus so many times, isn't it? It's the way of Jesus with the story of the lawyer. Somebody comes and asks a question. They think they want an answer to the question. And Jesus looks and addresses what's going on in their heart. This is so much so true of what happens to us as well. And he says to her, there's only one thing. And Mary has chosen it. It will not be taken away from her. Sometimes this story is told as if the message is that it's a way to contrast busyness with contemplation. Upon that reading of the story, the moral is that Jesus is the one good thing, and we should choose him instead of lives filled with busyness and distractions. And an overbusy life is not good. And certainly there are other parts of Scripture that we could point to, and even some aspects of this passage, but there's... Other parts of Scripture we could point to to say that we can distract ourselves from what is most important by being busy. In fact, I think that is one of the great dangers of our modern age. It's easy to get caught up in busyness to the point where we never have time to sit at the feet of Jesus. But I don't think that's really the main point of this story. Because we also can't just say that this story is simply to say that spiritual activity is good and those sort of tending to the things of daily life, this is bad. It just gets in the way of the real true good thing, the spiritual things. There's an early story from the Desert Fathers, actually, that illustrates this wrong reading of this passage. A brother was visiting Abba Sylvian at Mount Sinai. And when he saw the brothers at work, he said to the elder, do not labor for the, this perishable fare, for Mary chose the better portion. And the old man said to his disciple, Zachariah, give this brother a book and put him in an empty cell. And by the ninth hour, he was already watching the door to see if they would send and call him to the meal. When no one had come calling, he stood up and went to the elders saying, Have the brothers not eaten today, Abba? The old man replied, they have. So he said, then why did you not call me? The old man said, because you are a spiritual man and you have no need of this fare. But we are fleshly and want to eat, which is why we work. You, however, have chosen the better portion and can spend the whole day reading. You do not want this fleshly fare." And to that he fell at his feet and said, forgive me, Abba. The old man said, in any case, Mary still needs Martha, for it is through Martha that Mary is praised. We need to take care of the physical aspects of our life. There is work we must do. There are dishes that will pile up if unattended. There are meals to prepare. And our Lord knows this. He knows that there are duties and responsibilities that we have. He didn't chastise Martha for caring for her guests. That was actually Martha's responsibility in that moment. As the head of the house, she had that sacred responsibility of providing hospitality. It was right for her to be tending to those things. There is only one thing, but it's not just to forsake the duties that we have in order to go study, in order to go read more to go spend time locked away in prayer at the exclusion of all else. I wish that we all hungered for God's word and hungered to be with Jesus enough in prayer that that was our main temptation. But even if that desire was there, We could not do it to the exclusion of all else. Last week we heard the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable of the Good Samaritan, it's a priest and a Levite who pass by the man along the side of the road. And it's pretty clear from the way that that parable is told that their religious observance, that their care for the law, that they're they're paying attention to the things that they were supposed to do as, in their role as their religious offices, as good Jews, was not an excuse for not paying attention to the inconvenience of the man along the side of the road. In the same way, Martha's desire to sit at the feet of Jesus was not a reason to ignore her responsibility for hospitality. But we come back to what Jesus told the lawyer at the beginning when he's asking the question of what the law means. What is the one thing? What is it that we're supposed to do? What is the the true heart of meaning of the law? The one thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your strength, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Mary loved Jesus like this, and so she sat at his feet. She loved him with her heart and her mind and her soul, and she sat and listened to him teaching, because that was what was for her to do in that moment. Martha loved Jesus too but that wasn't her position at that moment what she could have done is serve him out of love to love her sister getting to sit at the feet of Jesus to understand that her hospitality was enabling others to gather around the feet of the Lord That that was her call in that moment. And that there could be joy in it. She got to serve him. There is joy in it. Now let me be clear. This is not an excuse to always be busy with tasks and to never have time to sit at the feet of Jesus. That's not good and it's not healthy. We need time to rest with Him, or we will become exhausted and resentful. But neither can we always sit at His feet. And we cannot use our desire to be with Jesus as an excuse to ignore the work that God has given us to do in this present moment. And so what we need to do is work with the Holy Spirit, allow Him to work in our hearts to produce greater love, So that when I wash the dishes, I do it out of love for God and love for my neighbor, for my wife. When I go to work every day, I don't see this as competing with my desire to be with Jesus, but it's part of my love of him is to go and work and serve others in whatever way that God has given you to do. When you care for your kids and their constant interruptions, it's a chance to love them in the name of Jesus. When you see someone in need and helping them interrupts your schedule, throws things off kilter a little bit, you do so in the name of Jesus. You find that there's good in it. When well, you have your quiet time, too. that You do that because you love the Lord with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. It's not just an obligation that you have to check off the list. You come to it because you love Him. And so that time spent reading the Bible so that you have the Word of God saturating into your soul, and that time spent praying so that you can hear and listen to and and be in conversation with Jesus, this is born out of that love. The one thing is everything. It's part of everything that we do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the good portion. And if you choose this, with God's help, with the renewal of his Holy Spirit, it will not be taken from you. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, Please visit us on the web at www.christarhopeanglican.org.